Thank you, Jonathan and Hannah and Dan and instrumentalists and choir for beautiful worship today. 2 Kings 22, I found it. 2 Kings 22, I found it. Some pretty important things can get misplaced sometimes. Think for a moment, what is the most important item that you yourself have ever lost? Well, when Maryland officials took over the operation of the Baltimore City Jail, some inmates had just slipped their mind. 114 inmates were lost inside the jail. One man spent 13 months behind bars because they thought he'd already been released. They had never formally been charged. They'd never been given a court date. They were just lost inside the walls of the prison. You lose a man, you lose 114 men like you might lose a sock in the washer. They lost 114 men. Or the Sewerville family. Unfortunately, they lost their dear dog, Abby. They were in the backyard playing. One minute, they're playing with their one-year-old black Labrador and the next minute, they turned their Apollo, Pennsylvania home, and Abby is gone. They searched their neighborhood, the surrounding neighborhoods. They do the poster thing on the telephone poles, but Abby is not to be found. And they just suppose that the one-year-old Abby, their dear dog, is dead. Fast forward a decade. Abby shows up again. You, where had Abby been? A dog had been gone for a decade, lost forever, they thought, and Abby just shows up. They would love to have known where she'd been and, and what she'd done, but they'll never know. But thank goodness, Abby finally found after a decade away from her family. And then there's Tischendorf, less than 30 years of age, a lecturer at the University of Leipzig, by no means a distinguished professor yet. He's visiting the monastery of St. Catherine on Mount Sinai. It was 1844. He sees the monks stoking the fire with some pages, some parchments, and he goes over to, to look into the trash can at the parchment that they're starting their fires with, and he recovers on that day 43 pages of an ancient copy of the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. And he sort of scolds the monks and says, these documents are way too ancient and important for you to use them by which to be kindling for your fire. Well, he could have no rest about 10 years past, 1853, he wondered, what else have they burned? They, they admitted they'd already burned two trash cans full before he warned them. What else had they burned? And he just, he couldn't sleep at night. He goes back, but he had acted way too excited on his first trip. And so they wouldn't tell him about any more documents or what they had. He had made off with the 43 pages of the Septuagint they were going to burn. Well, he still couldn't sleep at night, so he goes back a third time in 1859. 
He goes to the steward of the monastery and he shows all the publications that he has produced as a, a biblical scholar from the, the Septuagint pages that he had discovered. And well, the steward of the monastery says, that's nothing. I've got a copy of God's word too. He goes to his little cell, the monk does. He comes out with a book covered in red velvet and he hands to Tischendorf what eventually becomes the most important copy of the New Testament extant today. It turns out to be Codex Sinaiticus. If you have a Bible that was translated since 1900, your Bible is shaped by this discovery by Tischendorf. He, he tried not to act too excited this time. It was the full copy of God's Word, Old and New Testament. It was so valuable. He said, well, could I just take it up to my room and study it tonight? He said, I could not sleep. It would be a sacrilege to fall asleep in the presence of this, the best copy extant of God's Word. And so he didn't sleep. And he said, well, would you like to sell that old Bible you have to me? And well, he would have cut off his right arm on the spot if they had demanded it. He tried not to act too excited, and they said no. They would let him take eight pages at a time and copy them. Well, it took years of negotiating, but finally he was able to get the, the manuscript for, of all places, the Tsar of Russia. They had to build a silver shrine for St. Catherine of the monastery, and then for the silver shrine, they handed over Codex Sinaiticus over to the Tsar of Russia. And then when the USSR thinks God's dead, and they're not interested in religious books anymore. The British Museum in 1933 purchases Kodak Sinaiticus for a half million dollars. What had once been used as rubbish to start the fires in the monastery is valued all the way back in 1933 for a half million dollars, and it turns out to be the most valuable copy of the New Testament that we have today. Wow, what a jewel. God's Word, the best copy of God's Word, lost and found in the 18. Hundreds. Oh, some pretty important things can get lost. But never before has anything as important as what we find lost and found today ever happened. The year is 638 B.C. Child King Josiah is crowned at eight years of age. Babylon is rising as a dominant world power. And finally, when he's age 26, the new king makes his first independent decision. He really is reigning now that he's 26. He looks around and God's house, the temple is in total disrepair. And so Josiah, a good king, a the grades of the kings, he gets an A+, plus. a good king, not like his sorry grandfather or father, but a good king. The temple had fallen in this disrepair, years of neglect, 
Josiah says, go and get the bricklayers, go and get the carpenters, buy the stones, start hewing them out, get the timbers, let's get going, let's repair God's house. There was no word from God in those days except for the word of Jeremiah and Zephaniah and Nahum, and no one was really listening to them anyway. But Josiah called for the offerings to be taken out of the temple treasury and for the temple to be repaired. As the ancient workers begin to repair the temple, they make a once-in-a-lifetime discovery. Look at verse 8. In the middle there, I have found the book of the law. There had been no scripture. Imagine God's people without God's word. There had been no scripture for 75 years. Evil Manasseh, 55-year reign. Ammon, two-year reign. And then Josiah from age 8 to age 26, you add it all up for nearly a century, three-quarters of a century, God's people had no copy of God's Word. Jerusalem was steeped in idolatry. Worship of the temple had been neglected. The temple was falling apart. God's Word had fallen into such neglect that no one knew where there was a copy of Scripture. Can you imagine that? In fact, Josiah, having an evil grandfather and an evil father, no one ever read the stories to him. He didn't hear the, the Old Testament stories. He didn't know the law of God. He just knew the, the place of worship was falling apart, and it needed to be repaired. No printing press, of course, in those days. Everything was copied by hand and seemingly no copy of Scripture. I imagine perhaps a faithful priest, when an evil king, king took over, had hidden a copy of God's Word in a secret chamber. And when they repaired that chamber, perhaps they discovered, what is this? It's a book. Let's read the book. It was God's long lost Word. Josephus imagined it happening this way, that at the bottom of the treasury that a priest had placed a copy of God's Word. So when they're taking out all the coins to pay for the repairs to the masons and to the carpenters, at the very bottom of the temple treasury was the greatest treasure of all, God's Word. They found God's Word. I have found a book, he says. Was it the whole Torah? Was it just a copy of Deuteronomy? I don't know. But whatever portion it was, it was life-changing to the king and to the temple and to the people of God. Look at verse 8. Then Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, who read it. And Shaphan the scribe came to the king 
and brought back word to the king and said, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and delivered it to the hand of the workmen who have oversight over the house of the Lord. Shaphan, the, the one to whom the book is given, he reads the scripture. Now, I've imagined if so long God's people without God's word, what portion did he read? What portion did he look at first? Look at verse 10. Moreover, Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. And it came about that when the king heard the words of the book of the law, that he tore, he rent his clothes. The word of God Almighty lost for 75 years. And now Shaphan says, we doled out the money like you said, and, and we found a book, and he reads God's word to the king, God's guidance. Perhaps he read the portion of the law which brings curses upon those who have transgressed and in Josiah, knowing that he had not lived by the law, he didn't know the law. The people of God had not lived by the law. They had lost the word of God. He tears his clothes in anguish and says, we have been without God's word. We have lived without God. Well, verse 13, he says, go find somebody who can tell me what this book means. They go to a prophetess by the name of Huldah. And Huldah tells them in verses 15 through 19, well, let's look at them, 15. And she said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, behold, I bring evil on this place and on its inhabitants, even all the words of the book which the king Judah has read, because they have forsaken me. And have burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger. With all the work of their hands, therefore, my wrath burns against this place, and it will not be quenched. But the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel regarding the words which you have heard. Because your heart, Josiah, was tender, and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against his inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse. You have torn your clothes and wept before me. Truly, I have heard you, declares the Lord. So the, the people in the place will be punished, but not the king who had humbled his heart. Can you imagine a world without Scripture? Can you imagine living without a copy of the book? Well, there's more ways than one to lose it, isn't there? Oh, we can physically misplace our Bible and, 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 and lose the Bible, you be surprised maybe you wouldn't how many lost bibles exist at first baptist church it's people lose their bible somebody's gonna lose their bible today it just happens every week but i'm not talking about that kind of losing your bible you begin to skip bible study on sunday mornings you begin 
to not listen to the proclamation of God's Word. You stop reading it at home. And before you know it, through neglect, we, like they, lose God's Word to us. Well, I want to say three things quickly. First of all, about this passage. Without the book, we have no guideline by which to do life. Without the book, we have no guideline by which to do life. If you didn't know any of Scripture, how would you pretend to know how to do life? If you didn't have, thus saith the Lord God Almighty, thou shalt and thou shalt not, how would you know what was good compared to what was evil? Without, without a tape measure, could you ever lay out a square? Without a level, could you ever build a straight wall? Without, without a, a pattern, could you ever sew a garment to form? The Bible is invaluable because it is here that we learn how to do life. Without the Bible, what's wrong? What's right? What does God expect? Take away the prophetic proclamation, thus saith the Lord God Almighty. How do you know what God desires? Josiah and his people lived without the book. And when at last the book was found, they realized with, without God's word that Without that guide, they had missed the mark. They had wandered in their walk. They were not living as God would have them to live. Ours this morning is a, a call to know, to study, to cherish the book. I can't imagine how people live life without Scripture. How would we know what God expects from us and how God guides us to live a life that is pleasing for him to live? We should all have this dread or this fear at the end of our life, having missed the mark, having wandered in our walk as well, because we have not read, we do not know God's word to us. The utterance of God, men and women are called to hear what God has to say to us, to be confronted with the declaration of God. Isaiah 48 tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. God's word, you, you cannot change it, you cannot destroy it, you can't even really defend it. Trying to defend God's words like trying to destroy God's Word. Imagine the rock of Gibraltar, and one guy has a toothpick on one side. He's trying to push the rock of Gibraltar over, and a guy on the other side is trying to defend the rock of Gibraltar. And with his toothpick, he stands and pushes on this side. Neither one of them makes any difference, do they? God's Word stands when you neglect it. It stands when you try to discount it. And it stands whether we defend it or not. God's word has been spoken. It cannot be rescinded. The word of the Lord 
created the heavens and the earth by the breath of his nostrils, the host of heaven. It is a guide by which we do life. Psalm 119.105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. It is a light unto my path. A traveler upon a dark path, he sees the light. He knows go this way and not that way. God's words like that in our life. To the troubled, to the troubled, God's word is comfort. To the ignorant, it is wisdom. To the learned, it is a call to humility. To the sinner, it offers salvation. And to the doubting, it gives us assurance. Without God's word, we truly have no idea how to live life. You remember Robert Fulgham's book, Everything I really needed to know, I learned in kindergarten. That might be true. We do learn a lot as children, but, but Robert Hostetler has changed that to everything I needed in life, I learned in Sunday school. He said, I learned about the greatness of God when I, I sang, my God is so big. I, I learned about the love of Jesus when they taught me Jesus loves me. I learned the fact that color of skin doesn't matter. There are no racial barriers. When I, I, I sang Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, I learned the importance of Scripture when I sang about the, the B-I-B-L-E. I, I learned the imperative for sharing God's love and hope and missions with this little light of mine. Yes, everything I needed to know for life, I, I learned in Sunday school. Here's the second thing I want to say. That is, without the book, we're floating in a sea of subjectivity. Without the book, we are floating in a sea of subjectivity. What may be reasonable to a man in India might be absurd to a fellow in France. What might be okay in America would be outlandish in Iran. Without the book, there are no absolute truths. God's Word is true for all people of every culture of all times. There's no other book like that. And without this book, we are lost in a sea of subjectivity. With each man or woman trying to determine what is right in his or her own eyes. Now you might say, now pastor, if we didn't have Scripture, we're reasonable people. We could come up with some paradigms by which to live life, like love your neighbor as yourself. Well, no, you didn't come up with that. that that's Scripture. Let's take a moment. The most enlightened culture that did not have God's Word, the smartest people on the planet at the time were the Germans. They had wisdom, they had learning, they started the enlightenment, they had everything that humanity could possibly offer, but they did not, in all their intelligence, they did not have the Bible because they cast it away. Ravi Zacharias says, speaking in Poland once, he went to the death camps of Auschwitz and Birkenau. He says on the wall is that greatest, most intelligent people declaring these words of Hitler on the wall. I freed Germany from the stupid, degrading fallacies of conscience and morality. 
It means you threw out the book. We will train young people before whom the world will tremble. I want young people capable of violence, imperious, relentless, and cruel. He says there, there were pounds of women's hair that had been cut and sold like a commodity by the Nazi exterminators, architects of the gas oven. There were pictures of abused and castrated children. There were toiletries and clothing going all the way up to the ceiling. Yes, they were the smartest people. None of us can deny, but they threw out the book, and human intelligence without divine guidance leaves us with disaster. And it's not just the Germans, Stalin, Mussolini, Mao. When cultures get rid of the book, when they do not hear, thus saith the Lord God Almighty, we find ourselves in a very dangerous sea of subjectivity, and, well, we've already seen where that sea leads us to utter destruction. And the third thing I want to say, without the book, there is no meaning to life. It is here in these pages that we find out where we come from. God created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. It is here that we learn why we are here, to glorify God with all that we are. It is here that we find out where we're going, to the kingdom of God as we're saved by his Son. Without this book, we don't know where we came from, we don't know why we're here, and we have no idea where we're going. Life Magazine did some casual interviews years ago, and one was a, a taxi driver by the name of Jose Martinez. Here's what Jose had to say. We're here to die, to just live and die, I live driving a cab, I do some fishing, I take my girl out, I pay my taxes, I do a little reading, and then get ready to drop dead. You, you've got to be strong about it. Life is a big fake. Nobody gives a darn. You're rich and you're poor, you're here and you're gone, you're like wind, and after you're gone, other people will come. It's way too late to make it better. Everyone's fed up, can't believe in nothing no more. People have no pride. People have no fear. People aren't scared. People only care about one thing, and that's money. We're going to destroy ourselves. There's nothing we can do about it. The only cure for the world's illness is a nuclear war. Wipe everything out and start over. We've become like cornered animals fighting for survival. Life is nothing, he says. Well, if you don't have this, Jose Martinez is right. Without God's Word, which tells us about God's love, which tells us about God's Son, which tells us about His crucifixion and the hope of the resurrection and His glorious enthronement and His awaited return, without this, yeah, you do just drive the cab, fish a little, read a little, and wait to drop dead. Without God's Word, there is absolutely no meaning to life. The book was found in Josiah's day. 
he acted quickly to, to make up for lost ground. We try to give you every opportunity. Tonight we're in James, and there's a Tuesday noon Bible study. There's a Wednesday night Bible study. There's women's Bible studies. There's every opportunity. We can keep you busy all week studying God's Word. To live without the book, not on your shelf, but reading and knowing and learning the book is to live hopelessly in darkness. Thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May we always read and heed. Thus saith the Lord God Almighty. Let us pray. Oh God, some watching by way of television and some in this sanctuary have lost the book. Oh, they've got six copies on the shelf at home somewhere. But it's not in their hand and not in their heart. May we heed this story and declare today with Josiah, we have found it. We will read it like Shaphan the moment he got it, and we will live our lives by it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.